0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. Can we say that together? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. So last week, uh, Vicar Garcia kicked off our Lenten weekend series called God Still Loves the World. Uh, He did that by comparing and contrasting Adam and Eve uh, with Jesus and talked about how God gave his fallen creation a second chance. Well, today in our gospel lesson, we heard Jesus talk about giving us a second birth, a birth that comes about ultimately through the death of God's Son. This week we we heard as God's promise made at the end of the beginning is marching on through uh, Abraham to Christ and on to us. Well this week the promise given in Genesis chapter 3 is is more fully expounded in John chapter 3 culminating in verse 16 perhaps the most beloved verse in all of scripture certainly the most familiar Thankfully, in the extravagant and mysterious love of God, there is always room to learn more, to appreciate more, to to crawl deeper into the heart of God, and to find something new. That being said, I I readily admit that that the words before us today, um, I've taken for granted all too often. Let's not do that today. Let's hear them with eager ears and open hearts. And as we do that, the first thing that we find is the open heart of God. For God so loved the world. Not Israel, not America, not even the church. God so loved the world. Here we encounter this profound and mystifying truth that God's love is for everyone God's love is all-encompassing in the most literal sense. It overflows every possible container. It reaches to every corner of the globe from the depths of the Mariana Trench to the heights of Mount Everest. It spans every continent and, and every island. It extends to the farthest reaches of civilization and far beyond. The Greek phrase here emphasizes the intensity of God's love and the object of that love the world emphasizes its incomprehensible breadth. And yet when, when the world comes up in any of John's writings, there's even more going on. When John talks about the world, he is almost always talking about that which is engulfed in sin and is in dire need of saving. And so we see that, that God's love is impressive not so much because of how big the world is, but because of how bad the world is. Because of sin's entry into the world that we talked about last week, the world is a wicked and a dangerous place. And it's not just John who recognizes this. The goal of of probably most world religions is to teach you in one way or another how to escape the world. Christianity, on the other hand, boldly declares not that you must be saved from the world, but that the world itself is saved by God. God so loved the world, the world he created, the world that lost itself in darkness and death and rebellion against its maker, that he sent Jesus. God so loved the world, the world that that Jesus came into, the world that Jesus made, the world that did not know him, the world that would not know him. God gave us his son, knowing full well what we would do to him. My wife and I have been catching up on a show recently that takes place in a dangerous post-apocalyptic world. And one of the characters on that show is named Glenn. Um, In one episode, the, the group meets this new character who's just terrified and completely out for himself. And Glenn is almost killed because of this character's foolishness. And then a little bit later on, this character actually tries to murder him. But even under these circumstances, even in such a world, Glenn offers this man forgiveness and helps him learn how to survive. At one point, Glenn's wife is talking to someone else about this, and she says, that's what Glenn does. He saves people, even people like that. You and I were enemies of God. We, we had destroyed our relationship with him with our own foolishness. Our sin had murdered the beauty of his creation. But still, God shows us love, because that's what God does. He saves people, even people like us. One of my favorite songs right now is by the band Crowder. It's called My Victory and it starts out by saying to Jesus, you came for criminals and every Pharisee, you came for hypocrites, even one like me. Honestly, most of the time it's pretty easy for me to believe that God loves the world. Sometimes it's much harder to believe that God loves me. Generalities are pretty easy. Specifics are much more difficult, especially when when I know all of the dark details, the depraved thoughts that I've entertained, the things that I've done in secret, the words that I've spoken in anger. Winston Churchill once said, a clear conscience is a sign of a fuzzy memory. You see, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am the one who rebelled against God and... Even killed his son. That's why it's vital for me to know that his love is for me. That when he says he so loved the world, he's saying he has so loved me. In high school, I was involved in a group called Ongoing Ambassadors for Christ. Uh, Perhaps some of you have heard of that group. And we had these little kind of business card size things that we would give out that looked like this. Um, It says not life-size, obviously. Um, But could we do this? This is basically a personalized paraphrase of John 3.16. Could we read this out loud together? And when we get to the blanks, could each of you, along with me, insert your own name? Are you ready? For God so loved Caleb that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to suffer, die, and rise in victory for Caleb. So that believing in Jesus as the Savior from sin, Caleb shall not perish, but Caleb shall have everlasting life. God's love is for everyone the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the truth is that on our own, we only fall into the latter two categories. But God loves us still, not for our loveliness, but because of his endless compassion and mercy god 's love is for everyone that means you. God demonstrated this love for you by giving up everything. Another way of putting this might be to say that, that god 's love is forfeiture. Now, I know some of you right now are sitting there thinking, yeah, he just chose that word so that each part of his sermon outline could start with four um, you 're kind of right about that. But let me read to you the dictionary definition of the word forfeiture. It means the loss or giving up of something as a penalty for wrongdoing. Isn't that exactly what what God's love did for us? The wrongdoing was not his own, but his creation's. It was ours, and yet he was the one who gave up something, who gave up everything as a penalty. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loved. God gave. The Greek tense of these verbs is stronger than our English past tense is able to fully convey. These, these are actions done in the past that are completed and accomplished. It is done. The son is given. The verdict is in. The penalty is paid. The son has has been given to us by God because he so loved us that he gave us his very best. God loved us so much, he sacrificed his one and only son, lifting him up as Moses lifted up that snake in the desert, sending him to be incarnate among us, not to condemn us, but to save us. Love fails to be love until it gives something up. God gave up his only son. A book I was reading this week says, this kind of sacrificial love is counterintuitive. In some ways, it is madness. Such love even pushes the boundaries of justice because of its willingness to endure injustice for others. This is what Jesus has done for you. This is how God has so loved you. And now it's your turn. I can never really talk about John 3.16 without talking about 1 John 3.16, which says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This defining love of Jesus invites us to join in its sacrifice. Jesus laid down his life for you, and so you lay down your life for others. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to give up everything for someone else, knowing full well what they may do to you? Are you willing to lay down your life? Are you willing to so love the world like God does? True love is risky business, and it costs a lot. But as the people of God, loved by him and rescued by the blood of Jesus, we love like he does. After all, that's what we are. We are loved and we are rescued because God's love is for our salvation. In the Nicene Creed, we confess that Jesus came down from heaven and was made man for us men and for our salvation. The word salvation simply means to be saved from something. In this case, it means that we are saved from sin, from death, from the power of the devil. And as we're reminded by our verse today, whoever believes in Jesus will not perish. Perish. And that's a radical and surprising statement, to say the least. Martin Luther writes this, You know full well that we are sinners and are lodged in the jaws of death. Hence, it must sound odd and strange to you that we are to conquer sin and death and need not fear God's stern judgment and his wrath. Yes, indeed, it is strange. But now, behold... What is God's plan? The answer would never have occurred to you. Because of his divine wisdom, counsel, and mercy, God gives his only begotten son as a remedy against sin, death, and your old nature and birth. The son is given to us by dying for us and being buried for us. That, I take it, is another miracle and one far greater. We stillborn sinners, conceived and born spiritually dead, have been rescued From our terminal illness by the death of our brother, Jesus. But not only do we escape eternal death, there's more. The old saying goes that that mercy is not getting what we deserve, and that grace is getting what we do not deserve. We deserved eternal death, but we don't get it. And by God's grace, we get something we don't deserve because God's love is forever. And that means that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but will have eternal life. John is unique among the Gospels in, in how he talks about eternal life. It's a big theme for him, more so than the other Gospels. And every time it comes up, it is always talking about resurrection. The full and true and everlasting life given by God at the return of Jesus. Jesus. This is the undeserved grace of God given to us. That just as Jesus stood up again from the grave, so will we. For God so loved the world. God so loved us that he's promised to raise us from the dead. He's promised eternal life with him in the restored world that he has so loved. His new heavens and new earth. And the really wonderful thing is this eternal life with God actually starts... Right now. In the Greek, the, the tense is is present. God has given us eternal life right now. St. Augustine once said that a sacrament is where God's love is made visible. Through the sacraments and, and through living with one another and, and engaging in God's word, we, we receive his love. We are washed by water and the word. We feed on the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. These are tangible ways that God enters the the here and now, the the physical world, and we see and, and we taste and we know that we are loved. God's not just some spiritual force outside of the world. Because he loves the world, he is directly involved in the world. And he wants us to be too. Whoever believes in him We'll have eternal life. And God invites us to play a part in leading people to believe in him. It's the Holy Spirit alone who changes hearts, but it's our privilege to be involved in his work. You know, God's promise to Abraham in our Old Testament lesson today that, that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. And then God's fulfillment of that promise through the giving of Jesus both remind us that the church does not exist for itself, but for the sake of the world. People long to to be loved, to know that they matter to someone. They're not really interested in formulaic statements you can read to them off a page. They want to talk to a real, living, breathing person whose life has been forever changed by the King of the Universe. You are that person. You have the opportunity to be that rare phenomenon in the life of someone God has placed before you a, a caring, genuine, loving Christian. I'm very proud of my wife, Emily, for many, many reasons. And her recent leadership in the area of Bible journaling is one of, those, one of the latest ones. Uh, maybe you've seen some of her artwork uh, that brings the Word of God to life visually, um, either at one of the, the sessions that she's led, or uh, she often shares these devotional drawings of hers on Facebook. Uh, just a week and a half ago on Ash Wednesday, she shared this one. Um, Which is the only one she's ever done that I've looked at and thought, you know, maybe I could do that. Uh, Most of the time, it's far, far beyond me. Uh, But she shared this on Ash Wednesday. Very simple, just black and white, uh, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And uh, one of Emily's Facebook friends, a classmate of hers from high school, who went on to study at Harvard and is now a professor at MIT, commented on this photo. I hope it doesn't offend you to hear that while I don't share your faith, I find it genuinely touching and inspiring. Now, maybe in cases like this, we'd rather hear something like, you know, I never really thought anything about Jesus, but seeing these drawings, seeing how you you live your life, the things you say, you know, you've changed my heart and my mind forever, and now I believe. Well, sometimes it happens that way, but for better or worse, most of the time it doesn't. But in this case, at least... Emily's faith and her expression of that faith are having an impact on this friend and God only knows how the Spirit will use that to work in her heart over time. God's love is forever. We have forever to share in that love but we don't have forever to share that love with the world. So let's use the limited time that we have to show God's love to MIT professors, to co-workers and fellow students, to family and to friends. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we heard God's promise to Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. Next week, Pastor Kaiser is going to continue our series by talking about how God loves the whole world. So we'll see you then. In the meantime, may the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.